tell you what, it is definitely about flaunting sexual promiscuity. There's a lot of that in the Pride March. It's a little more genteel in Charleston, I have to say. But yeah, yeah. Oh, is it, is it? Are they having a... Uh, it's just a little more... It's more like, yeah. Maybe a, a seersucker suit without a shirt, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and this week I'm only here to record this introduction and to wrap things up at the end. On today's episode, Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, are going to be discussing the intersection of Pride Month, which has just begun, as if you could have missed it, and the exvangelical phenomenon, wherein prominent former evangelicals, I think Kevin Max of DC Talk is the latest example, proclaim that they no longer believe in the way that they used to. It's a great conversation. I know you'll enjoy it. So though I am on vacation in Arizona, JD's calling into the pod from his car, so his cell phone service goes in and out, and Matt's got heavy machinery in operation outside his window, we will stop at nothing to bring you, our loyal listener, a new episode of the Stand Firm podcast. So here we go. Here's JD. So Matt, uh, it's it's the second day of Pride Month, which is just... Um, <laughs> 363 days into pride year it seems like is the case now but um so yeah i, I just would love your initial thoughts on that i think it's just you know, the name the, the, the pride pride month i mean it's just if you were trying to come up with a festival to encapsulate you know romans one or or, or, or all the things that scripture described as evidence of a, of a, of a people being utterly depraved then the things that go on in Pride Month would be it. And then, then slap the name Pride on top of it. It's just like, you're begging God, please. I know you said you wouldn't, but please send another flood. Please, please send down fire I mean, from heaven because it's awful. Yeah, and the coffee. Well, Liza, sent me a, Liza sent me an ad from some online retailer the other day that had the, it was called The Power of Pride. And it said, "Pride connects us, inspires us, and strengthens us." So it's like, what, is, what exactly are we talking about yeah. here? Like, what is what if, if you just walked into Pride into this from like twenty years ago, you would be like, "Is what is Pride? Is that the name of the <laughs> aliens that had come down to unite us all into the you know the next iteration of peace or, or what?" I mean, I don't. It's it's really quite something, and and the speed at which it's. Um, overtaken the most mundane and sort of banal realities of life, like Xerox or, um, well, Amazon sort of been act. Yeah, insurance companies. Like, so this is funny. So, Lost and I last year, or two years ago, I guess, before before the great mask uh, reality, we were down is celebrating our 16th anniversary, uh, 17th downtown Charleston. So we're leaving downtown Charleston. And uh, just packing up and trying to leave this bed and breakfast. And they said, all of a sudden you hear all this, this screaming and hollering and like, you know, um, bells and whistles going off. And it turns out our bed and breakfast was right on the main dra- uh, loop or, or drag, pun perhaps intended, of, um, of the Pride Parade. And so we were stuck right in the middle of it for about an hour and a half. And so I was kind of torn because I was like, well, you know, if I'd ever gone down to this on my own, it would have been kind of a like an anthropological, uh, you know, journey. But I'm here I am stuck. So let's just go and and just see what's happening here. And 
you know, and the normal characters were involved. And I mean, I'm not, a, I was not unaware of what would, we would be seeing, but what I was fascinated by, and this was two and a half years ago, so it's just gotten ramped up, is that you had like Boeing walk through with their uh, Pride Festival, Xerox, like, you know, like we said, insurance company, you know, State Farm, your realtor, your, you know, the, the electric company was like, you know, Sparks for Pride or something. I mean, it was really, that was more than anything as harrowing to our portending of the things to come as anything I can remember, because, you know, we've all been aware of pride parades and various um, kind of celebrations and, and, you know, for, for decades now, but to see that as a part of it, and then now to experience, you know, walking into target or walking into a, you know, Harris Teeter or something. And it's like rainbow color, um, uh, you know, melon section, um, you know, half off during pride month or something. It's really, is really um, just a sign of the times. But I agree with you. <laughs> Speaking of Romans 1, I mean, C.R. Wiley, who's a person I read, I know, I think you do too, um, said that a good devotional activity for Pride Month would be to read Romans 1 every day uh, just to sort of situate yourself into what we're witnessing because the the, the Romans 1, as Paul says, the, the reality of God simply giving people over to their base desires and then and then even explicating what those desires would be, the dishonoring of themselves amongst each other, the, the, the natural lusts would be turned towards unnatural lusts, unnatural lusts, and that all of these, these sort of realities that we, that Paul talked about, we get to watch um, at least during Pride Month, um, you know, almost on every single news channel, every single, every single night. It's just all around us. I mean, you wonder what the pride is about. What, what, what is it? What do they mean? What are they proud of? I mean, it, are they proud to have the desire to have sex with people of the same sex? Is that is that, or, or is it like I have? Is it just connected with the kind of gospel of self that we've been talking about? Well, look, I, I've, I've delved down into myself and I see that the golden shimmering me as a as a me yeah. that wants to be with another person like me, um, and so I'm going to celebrate me, and you better celebrate me too. And you know, and 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 and, and then the pressure is if you don't also celebrate me, you know, you're you're a hater. So uh, and and all of that, That's of right. course, we've, I think we said before. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, theologically, it makes sense as a, a, a mass effort to quiet the conscience, right? If we can get everybody to put their rainbow rainbow flag up, everybody to to right. to celebrate um, our our uh, sodomy or whatever, <laughs> sex with each other, um, then then the conscience is is less oppressive, um, yes. and we can glide through life. I think I think you're exactly right. I think there's a two part aspect to it. I think one. It's part of the the Freudian sort of modern sexual self that, like Carl Truman um, talks about, you know, the sort of the rise of the the libido as the really the the essential aspect of what it means to be a human. And so, when the the, for instance, homosexuality became not an action but a but an identity, well, then the celebration of pride became much more of like a well, an ethnic reality. I mean, they really talk about themselves as if it's a like a third person. Right. You know, there's a there's a straight person. There's a, um, and so I think that's that's an aspect of it. But I do think, as we've talked about before, that whenever you see throughout history, um, particularly within the, the West, the Judeo-Christian West, um, people trying to overthrow the quote unquote constraints of the of the society, well, it makes sense that it would begin, or at least it would be illustrated by sexual depravity, because that would be the, the fundamental exercise of autonomy over 
your supposed God that could somehow tell me what I could or could not do in my bedroom, for instance. And so I think that, you know, just as we saw the, the sparks fly when the nascent Christian church ran into the sexual promiscuity of like the Greco-Roman world in Corinth and, and Ephesus and all these places. Um, and it took about a hundred years, you know, or, or more really for that to kind of um, to work itself out. And it's taken a couple of hundred years for it to unwind itself um, over the past couple of centuries. And I think, as we've said before, I think we're living in the, um, you know, we're living in the, 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 the heat of the moment uh, where, where whatever vestiges we're trying to hold on have, have released. And when you have pride flags, rainbow flags being flown, um, well, quote unquote, proudly over U.S. embassies all around the world, uh, well, that has signaled a next level of, of uh, mainlining and mainstreaming of this. Uh, really, it's a celebration of sexual deviancy, which un- understood up until, you know, 50 years ago um, in, in the West. And now it's, it's being reversed entirely. And that's because there is a this sense of identity. And as we said before, like this alternative ethnicity, I mean, it's almost like a, like a new gender, you know, a new, there's a gay, there, there's a male, female, and now there's a bracketed LGBTQ plus and, you know, you know check box here. And that is, that's just an altogether new world. And, and I don't see, and I'm not the only one to say this, but obviously people have noticed that there will be um, less and less middle ground between a, a confession of a Christian ontology and sort of anthropology of what it means to be man and woman and what it means to be um, pride, um, proud these days. I mean, it seems, um, and, you know, that's not a conflict that I relish, uh, but it's certainly one that I don't see a way around um, uh, as we go forward. Yeah, I, I, our listener hopefully will excuse. Hopefully, will excuse the uh, the heavy machinery sounds out our window where every our streets being torn up. So <laughs> you're gonna hear like you know things crashing. Um, sorry, but yeah, I mean, I wonder how long it's gonna take. Yeah, you know, just thinking about the kind of the woke evangelical, the the Vichy con who's kind of on the on the on the on, 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 the, on the edge of giving up everything, but you know, just kind of basically holding firm on the sexuality question, uh, sort of. Uh, how long, you know, before they're going to start celebrating this? You know, not not you know, we don't. We I've already kind of hearing people say things like, "Well, we disagree with homosexual behavior, but but we need to we need to get behind and support these sexual minorities." And so we are going to participate in the in the in the um, we're going to participate in the in the march, or we're going to at least be there to show our support um, and to wave our flags because we want them to know that we love them, even though we don't agree with what they're doing. I've yeah. heard that from places. I'm wondering how long. How, I'm wondering how long uh, that that just becomes a common position of of the the woke evangelical. Well, I mean, we talked about it a little bit with respect to the whole um, sexual minority and gay Anglican um, imbroglio or brouhaha, if you will, because, um, you know, once that's acknowledged as a legitimate, as it were, identity, I mean, essentially an ethnicity, well, then it is incumbent upon Christian people to not uh, show partiality or, or uh, you know, discriminate against actual um you know, I, realities uh, of people's various ethnicities or, or, or their, yeah, their God-given sort of, you know, unique 
constitutive um, right. humanity. And so I think that's what we're pushing back on in that respect, because once you acknowledge that, well, then it becomes tantamount to racism, becomes yeah. tantamount to sexism yeah. or, or um, you know, ethnic uh, 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 sort of partiality, which is exactly the way that the language is going. And so, I mean, I'll be surprised, you know, it's not surprising to me that um, this sort of ex-evangelical movement uh, that we've chronicled a little bit, that's all over Twitter, you know, that's basically Twitter. If you want to get a lot of, if you want to, if you're an evangelical, you want to become a blue check, you just become an ex-evangelical. Right. And you put on hashtag leave loud. And then all of a sudden you get all these former ex-evangelicals who also start following you and just beating up on their um their parents essentially all just transgressing the fifth commandment that's all they're I mean, doing but um and but you know it's uh, it's not surprising to me that the point of departure is always almost without exclusion um a point of uh disagreement over the supposed quote-unquote harm that has been done to the lgbtq plus community because of traditional christian teaching and when oh, yeah. you dig into that it, all it is the harm is the same harm that the law when it's brought towards sin always does, which is in fact that it pronounces that this is, this is a sin. Like it brings judgment. It brings, it brings, it kills. <laughs> so that's very harmful. Yes. But, but that's what it does. We I mean, we could, we could write the post for them. If they, if they, want, if they want help, uh, the next ex-evangelical wants help writing his come out letter. We know exactly what he can say, you know, I, I, for years, um, I was raised in a rigid, you know, evangelical right. church where I heard that uh, gay people were evil and going to hell and silver um, ring thing. Yeah, and but then, wild at heart. Right, right, yeah, and and but then I met you know when I, when I went to college and I learned things um, outside the Bible. You know, because my parents only we only had the Bible in my house, and and you know I met people who were gay and I realized that they were nice people. And they right. weren't, they, you know, they weren't demonic. And I said that made that caused me to ask the questions and not just ask the questions, but live the questions. Um, right. And now, you know, now I see the world is so much more, more open and beautiful and inclusive and tolerant. And so is God. And, and so now I have, I haven't left my faith. Um, I've just found a new way of living my faith out, blah, 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 blah. And then, then yeah. that's right. The certainty, you know, I used to, yeah. I used to think yeah. that certainty was the goal of, of Christianity. <laughs> Now I realize that it is, it is crushing doubt. Right, <laughs> That's right. what it is. Like, and, it's and, actually and, the place <laughs> of comfort in my life is, is abject despair as a result of crushing doubt, mind-numbing right. uncertainty in the face of questions. And <laughs> invariably, I don't think I've met, maybe with the exception of uh, Josh Harris, but even so with him, it's a little bit interesting. I don't know that I've read any ex-evangelical who has accurately described evangelicalism or accurately described yeah. the, the, the the doctrines that he or she is opposing and leaving it's always straw man it's always hyperbolic uh, yeah i say josh harris is an example as an ex exception because i think he was pretty well versed theologically and it wouldn't he know he kind of knew what he was what he was leaving um but you know even in his even in his Ex-evangelical confessions. It, it's always this kind of pitting of the dark versus the light, the open versus the closed, the tolerant versus the intolerant, and it, it just you, you can tell he's bought a narrative, and that narrative has shaped the way he even looks at his past. So he's not able to look. He's not even able to assess his past with with any kind of coherence and accuracy. Yeah, I mean, and it's always an indication of you know whether they were taught the gospel you know, the actual forgiveness of sins or not, what they have, they're at least communicating in their 
their sort of you know uh, triumphant leaving is that that whatever they what what they learned was that that sin was unforgivable essentially you know or that sin was somehow uh, the final word and so they say well you know I for instance never thought that um, that people who fell sexually should be um, condemned to hell forever you're like well who who told <laughs> who you that? that like I don't know who's, who you know who told you I've never heard uh, and, and I've always I always talked that we should hate gay people right. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe that's true. I think what's actually happening, again, back to our initial thing about Pride Month, is that when you have turned the corner on the idea that that sexual identity is a thing, you know, that it actually is a is a constitutive reality of a human person, well, then then any question of that becomes becomes tantamount to to well to to hate to racism to whatever else you want to say, and I think that's what has been part of the water i think that's what's been part of um kind of the culture obviously and i think that's how that's why we find ourselves with kind of with with sensitive people who have been sort of peripherally connected to churches when they run into um people who say well why are you you know your god your doctrine your theology is actually calling my very being into existence um, they say, well, that, that seems mean and hateful and I don't want to be part of it. And, and I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's not, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just where I feel like not feel, I mean, I've seen this, you know, this whole, the whole generation of people that have, have, um, apostatized over these questions. And I think it's partly the church's fault. You know, I think that there was a generation of, we've talked about this before, a generation of youth ministers and pastors who, who had to come up to speed really, really fast, you know, who weren't, um, you know, Hugh Hefner and kind of um, uh, Hustler and these things came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you know, this, this, uh, this new sexual world just took people by, by, by surprise. And I think the initial reaction to that is as well documented was, was in many cases, probably an overreaction uh, and possibly too harsh, you know, possibly too frightening, but it was a action, an equal and opposite reaction. You know, it was, it was, wait a minute, you know, my the the teen birth rate in my youth ministry just went up seven thousand percent in a six year period. Like, what's happening? Um, and I think, but I think now we we have the opportunity to to at least make the case. You know, particularly with the with kind of the the rise of the detransitioning movement and people sort of you know having lived into this and are finding it wanting to put it mildly. We have an opportunity to to not have heap further condemnation on on the loss, the hurting, and the broken, but to really offer um, genuine reconciliation and hope in the midst of, of what, um, you know, the, the failed and broken promises of a, you know, that um, it was like Paul has said, you know, that which promised me life probably proved to be death, you know, um, that's what we're looking at all around us. That's the way to approach those who are involved in this Life, not with just hey, you're, you're not just the point that hey, you're 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 sinning and you're um, and you're headed toward the darkness, but also that there's no sin that's too uh, too egregious for the blood of Christ to to cover. Um, the opposite, you know, that's opposed to. I'm, I'm just I, as we were talking, I looked I looked at Peter Volks. Um, he's he's the gay Anglican letter writer. Facebook and he is he is out there celebrating Pride Month um, and this is what he says this is why Pride Month matters it's not about haughtiness or flaunting flaunting sexual promiscuity it's in opposition to shame and hate it's a declaration we exist 
and we won't hide again. And that's fascinating coming from him because, you know, first of all, I don't know if he's been to a pride, a pride march, but I've seen one. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it is definitely about flaunting sexual promiscuity. There's a lot of that in the pride march. Um, I mean, it's all over the place. Naked people, people performing acts on one another in these uh, marches. It's a little um, more genteel in Charleston, I have to say. But yeah, yeah. Oh, they, is, it, is it? Are they having... Yeah, uh, they have, it was just a little more... It was more like, yeah. Maybe a, a Sears Sucker more. suit without a shirt? Maybe? <laughs> 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 I just say there are kids involved. So. But nevertheless, I think you're right. There's, I think uh, the, the history of gay pride parades, and if you did an image search, would not show a wholesome environment. I think yeah. But also, no, the pride, the parade itself, the pride month itself, it's not an opposition, um, an opposition to, sh- opposition to shame. It's an opposition to feeling shame for something that is shameful. That's right. That's, that's, right. that's the problem. They don't want to feel the, the shame of the act. And so they, they, need, to, they need to celebrate it instead. Um, I know, and, and see, here's where the here's where the problem with Revoice and um, and Peter Balk's position comes in is is uh, he uses this we because he's identifying himself with this sexual minority, and and he's he's putting himself in this like you were saying a minute ago, this third category of of a group that you you can't find anywhere in scripture of a, a people group defined wholly and, and exclusively by their disordered desires. Um, whether they act on it or not, he's now in solidarity with them. That's right. That's right. And that's the whole problem. And I think, and I'm grateful for the conversation that we've um, had the ongoing conversation about the, well, in our, in our context, the gay Anglican letter, but in general, the revoice and sort of the, um, you know, the sort of the gay Christian um, discussion, because it really has helped um, clarify the, the stakes of the debate. Because when we, when we, as it were, give up the semantic domain of like what the Bible, how the Bible talks about human humanity, which again does not allow for us to be um, boiled down to our sexual desires as identity markers, well, then we see clearly the the divide, and we say, you know, whatever whatever your uh, presenting desires are, whether sexual or otherwise, we um, and particularly if they're sinful, if they're enumerated and explicated as sinful. Well then, of course, Christian people can't can't fully affirm. But now we can acknowledge, and we can identify, and we can we can be long suffering with you. And we've talked about this. We can. Yeah. There's no. There's not one part that says this is a this is a um, you know the the final offense. Um, but in terms of the way that we walk and the way that we we pastor and the way that we even speak about it amongst ourselves, it's fairly clearly laid out. And and as we've said before, the the language. The, nothing has changed. The culture hasn't changed. Human nature hasn't changed. The Bible hasn't changed. I, I mean, the culture with respect to to human sexuality. I mean, obviously clothing and language and things. But um, but the only thing that's changed is that now there is a is a denial of a fundamental um, or or a a human identity that could exist outside of your your sexual preference. And so, therefore, we have to affirm and acknowledge their basic humanity, which is just simply synonymous with your sexual desires, or lack thereof, as the case. I mean, if you look at the um, the various acronyms, you know, there are all sorts of sexualities um, that are out there. That I mean, even some are defined by their lack of desire and things. And this is a, this is one of the, the identities that you can you can have, and then you can. Um, there's there are these identities where some days you are attracted to men, yeah. some days you're attracted yeah. to women. Some, I mean, they, but there there are words for all these, and I don't 
haven't memorized them. I haven't been studying that clearly, but but it, it actually came into um, I ran into some of them over that um, super straight debate. Did you yeah, did you follow yeah, that, that at all? Some yes. guy went on. <laughs> yeah. And so that guy, you know, sparked a lot of uh, antagonism and and what what Please came of it was all is. of these. Well, oh, well, this this guy did sort of a joke and he said in order uh, he thought it was a joke. Uh, well, it was in jest that his his sexual identity was not just straight, but it was super straight, meaning that there was no question that he was. And but he wanted to make that an aspect of his he wanted to be on the spectrum, you know, there'd be LGBTQIATPSS, one imagines, you know, or S squared. Um, right. So he, so it's okay for him. He's not attracted to trans women. He wouldn't right. be attracted at any point to, so it just was, he just, just can't help it. it it's who he is, right? Exactly. And so, so he did it in jest, but of course that, you know, poked the, poked the bear and it got, um, went viral because there were people that loved it on one hand and people that found it very offensive on the other. And in the, reading the controversy surrounding it, I was introduced to, I don't have the article in front of me, but you know, a list of the, the guy in the New Yorker was saying, well, amongst various sexual identities that he was hoping super straight would join the ranks of were, you know, and then a list of like at least 15 <laughs> to 20 different ones. And I mean, I had to Google some of them and I did not image search, but it was like, well, I don't know. But some of them were like, it was a, there's a sexual identity evidently that, that you are only attracted to the idea of someone. And so when you meet them, you're not attracted to them. I think it's called cupiosexuality for, for whatever reason. And so that's like how people identify themselves is they say, um, you know, well, my, my, I mean, again, it boggles the mind, not because it, it's implausible or impossible to imagine, but because people are speaking about it as if it is a real thing, as if, as if they're saying, well, this is the totality of my being. Yeah, here's a here's a corner of my fallen sexual reality that you know I should be embarrassed to say out loud. Um, perhaps you know I should shouldn't be afraid to confess to God, and I shouldn't feel afraid to even talk about with a with a you know a, a close friend and confessor. But the idea that I'm now making that my reality is such a Romans one reality. I mean, such a Romans one judgment because you know God is simply saying, sure, sure, okay. Like give them up, like you know, have have it your way, and and then the apostle Paul says very clearly what happens, as we said before, is that the we work our way through the various idols, you know, things created, things creeping, things things made of gold and of human hands, and finally settle on ourselves. And pride parade and pride month is nothing more than the exaltation of the individual human person in whatever configuration they want it to be. And, um, you know, look out for the blasphemers and the heretics that dare to question it and don't wear the flag or fly the banner or participate in the in the in the parade. And well, um, yeah, the super straight thing really, really revealed the hypocrisy of the whole thing. It, it revealed the uh, the lie of it, because the this all this kid is saying is, hey, I have my particular inborn predisposed uh, sexual preference is for biological males and the outcries. You or even it could be chosen. Why couldn't it just be chosen? Or biological you know, females. Be, yeah. yeah, biological females. Yeah, it could be chosen. Biological females. And, and the outcry against him, that's the one That's the one sexual preference you cannot have. That, that's you, right. you, it is impossible for anyone to be born like that or to choose that. 
um, without being unspeakably evil. And, and, and that in itself just, just shows how the whole thing is, is really an ideological political gambit. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's an, it's given lots of people kind of cover, uh, to not just identify with their desires, but to live in, you know, do what they want when they want to do it, um, with whom they want to do it, and then or and then call it, uh, and, and then celebrate themselves doing it, and and be you know congratulated by the whole, whole world for doing That's it, right. except for the male who only wants to be with females. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. impossible. That's kind right. Of yeah, I mean, if if, if Pride Parade. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if, if everything that the Pride Month represents is okay, well, then nothing that God, there is no God, first of all. And secondly, that that anything, any pretension that there is a God that would ever bring that into question is not as powerful as Xerox, Boeing, and my <laughs> local realtor, and the Episcopal Bishop on that Pride Parade float. Like, that's what it says. If that's right, there's nothing that's wrong, Right. And that's what people want to, to ultimately believe. That's why we are without excuse. The clear things of God, you know, particularly in this respect, how our bodies are fit, how men and women fit together physically, biologically, emotionally, all these things, their sex and um, procreation and all of the various ways that are so clear about male-female relations. If that can be just seen outright rejected, then we are, what is it? Uh, I forget the Greek word, but we are without excuse. You know, we are, we are, we are. Uh, righteously judged that's right sorry without a defense um and that's what again back to I mean, like this really instructive i mean you know the apostle paul knew something about um uh human depravity and he knew something about the law and the, the fact the law would provoke wrath and then of course was all this in the gospel and i hope you know, as you do too i hope the false dichotomy of cater acceptance can be transcended. Well, it can only be transcended by the power of the Holy Spirit when somebody actually hears the law as the righteous law of God and then says, well, who then can be saved? And we say, well, you know, this is why Jesus died. And I think that, um, you know, short of that, the dichotomy of the world, I'll try to speak as softly and as nicely and as, as powerly and as gently as I can, but it's been my experience that the law continues to, um, to reverberate much more loudly uh, in the world since it's actually the voice of God um, than whatever sort of, however nicely I could put it when it, when it speaks into a crowd of sinners. It's just a, it's just a strange thing. We're just in a strange cultural moment. I mean, I, I, I don't, I wonder how parents who are unchurched, or even, I guess even church parents discipline their, their children anymore. Right? So, so, I've mentioned before that, that the typical move right now for a parent when the child says, hey, I'm gay or hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a girl when he really is a boy um, is to say, well, I did think that that was wrong. But now that my child has has come out, um, I totally thought this is great. I've, I've re- I rethought everything. Um, my whole my whole theological framework and philosophical framework has been turned upside down. My entire life <laughs> because... has been turned around because one of the explicated sins in the Bible my child has embraced. Right. It's like what like how is this possible? It's like, you know, my child who I love became an alcoholic. You're like, and so therefore wow. God is not real. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> like there was a real jump between those two. You know, you're like, that's 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 a real that's quite dramatic. Like, yeah, so is this a mystery? Why can't up. why don't why 
I mean, I wrote a whole article about this. I should actually actually go back and read it again to see what I said. But, but, but why why wouldn't you say to your child, oh, well, this is like when you you know stole that thing when you were five years old because you wanted it. And yeah, that was wrong. So you, you know, I, I didn't say that because you wanted it and you stole it, that that was good because you were just expressing yourself. I said that was wrong. So, but, but now, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, my, well, I think they did, they did, but then that, then that was almost criminalized or it hasn't been criminalized yet. But I think, you know, again, I'm not talking about the extreme conversion and all of the terrible things that everyone always has thought is terrible, you know, but I'm talking about the parent who says that very thing. Like son, you know, sixteen-year-old son, um, you're having these desires. They're they're ungodly. They're sinful. We love you. Um, there is forgiveness for whatever actions or thoughts you've had, but we're going to work through this because this is not how God designed you to be. If the, he went to his school or counselor or whatever, um, you know, that's a almost a, a criminal offense because right. that that's been the difference. And so then a lot of these evangelicals who meet people. Um, or the people who have come out themselves will say things like, you know, I was I was forced in this oppressive, you know, uh, lie to live this oppressive lie. And you want to say like, well, you know, what you're actually saying is that someone to that your feelings did not define yourself and particularly your sexual feelings were not constitutive of your humanity before God. Um, well, then, sorry, like we're, that's actually loving you. That's a loving thing to say. And the people that are telling you that that is, in fact, who you are are not loving you at all. And, you know, that's where the double bind of the pastor and the, you know, the shepherd who kills the wolves and the shepherd who, who has to stand up for the sheep is always going to be caught because the short term affirmation seems the most loving because it brings the least pain. But good shepherds know that over the long haul, that the short um, you know, the pain on the front end is going to stop and it's going to help a lot on the, on the back end. And, you know, I think you just can't, um, just can't let that go. I mean, I don't know any, you know, the, these pastors, quote unquote, that, that are bending over backwards to affirm all of these, these, particularly these young people and their quote unquote sexual identities. I mean, Lord have mercy on them because yeah. that is not the action of a loving uh, Christian pastor. Um, that is the action of a, Paul Shepherd. Yeah, it's going to get harder and harder. Though I mean, the the, the, the ubiquity of the rainbow flag, um, especially this month. I mean, it's going to be everywhere, and, and so much so that you not having one or not sporting one, maybe not where you are in Charleston, but here in in in, uh, in Binghamton, New York, uh, there is a rainbow flag almost every other house. Um, so that your the absence of the rainbow flag is uh, you saying something in itself. So, well, I can't. Uh, yeah, I, I look to see what's going to happen. Did you see that the New York, uh, San Francisco Giants have put the flag yeah, on all of their yeah, uniforms? Yeah, what do you do if you're a Christian? Well, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would have a really hard time uh, playing professional baseball. One, but two, <laughs> hard time. Uh, I think I would. I don't know. And I think I think well, that's I mean, going to be a tough one. It's the it's the pinch of incense, isn't it? Is there someone who said that? Yeah. Uh, 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 Denny Burke said, "Yeah, this, this is our this is our modern day pinch of incense. You put that flag up, and you're safe. Um, you don't put the flag up. You don't wear it on your sleeve. You don't you don't take part in the, in the festivities. Then what's wrong with you? And it's yep. very much like you know Christians not taking part in the in the, in the you know the festival of Zeus or the festival of whoever, um, and and separating themselves from society and becoming yeah. alienated aliens and outcasts. Um, yeah." Um, with Christ. And you know, I was listening, I think some 
similarities to that too. I'm listening to a um, teaching company class on the fall of the pagans and the rise of Christianity. I forget who the professor is, but anyway, it's great. It's only like 75 hours long. So I'm <laughs> like the next three years I'll be listening to it. But he talks about how even that pinch of incense for the majority of the Romans, they didn't believe it either, but it was such oh, yeah. a, it was a cultural convention that sort of set the, the um, what was what was the norm, the base level norm. And so when Christians didn't do it, it wasn't like all these people said, how dare you blaspheme Zeus? It was simply that they were like, you're not, you're not playing by our, our cultural norms, right? right? And I think that's actually what's happening here too, because I think that your normal person is like, look, I don't want to fight. I don't really know. I don't really care. Um, I certainly don't want to get yelled at. And so whatever, I'll wear the flag, put it up and I'll celebrate these things. And that we, if we are not going to do that, um, have to be, um, you know, more convinced and more convicted in the, the good reasons why, not just the negative reasons, but the good positive reasons as to why the vision of God that he gave us for the world and that he's established in his creation through men and women is, is more beautiful and more, um, more uh, good for us, is better for us right. than, than whatever else we would otherwise choose. And simultaneously that we're not, we're not holding these positions because we have contempt or, or disgust, but it's out of the blood bought, yeah. um, you know, the sort of reality that Jesus purchased on behalf of sinners. And so, you know, I was having a Twitter conversation with some pastor that I've never heard of, but he was retweeted in some way and he's got like a billion followers and I'm surprised he responded to me. But he's sort of mentioning something like this, that he hoped that, that, that people would understand that there was a, a third way between, between acceptance and pride, I mean, acceptance and hate. And I said, well, good luck, buddy. You know, I was like, I really hope so. But we've been saying this a long time and we've said it, I mean, you and I, particularly in the Episcopal Church, we've been trying to say this as long as I've been an adult yeah. in every which way possible. And it's always boiled down to, wait, wait, what you're saying is you hate, you hate these people. It's like, I have no idea. I'm just going to keep saying it and keep praying that by the power of the spirit, somehow people will, um, will actually hear not me, but what the, the message of what Jesus has purchased for them, which is that come unto me, all you are heavy laden with your ideas of your own sinfulness and your, I mean, your ideas, your own sexuality and your own, desires and lay them down and find new life and rest in me. And there you have it. That was their conversation. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, please be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Standing firm.